The Fail On Podcast, episode 031. It's okay to have people to model after, but know at what point in their timeline you should be modeling. You can't start today and be at Gary Vee's endpoint. You need to start today and look at how did Gary Vee start. Welcome to The Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes micro-failing in a hyper-focused way is the fastest way to start a business, quit your job, and live a life of absolute freedom. In a world that only likes to share successes, we dissect the struggle by talking to honest and vulnerable entrepreneurs, and this show is a platform for their stories, stories of how they were able to battle through failure after failure to achieve freedom in their lives. And today's story is of Cherie Alexander. Cherie is a persuasion expert known for bringing the dark arts of influence into the light. She's a speaker, writer, trainer, revealing powerful secrets behind conversational influence. She teaches persuasive triggers and techniques currently used by CIA field agents, hostage negotiators, con artists, trial attorneys, and many more. Her mission is to put these powerful skills and techniques into the hands of entrepreneurs and leaders so they can actually bring positive influence into their business and lives. We'll be discussing how Sheree landed her first CEO client at the age of 22 without any proven track record or any previous clients whatsoever. It's actually a beautiful lesson for aspiring entrepreneurs looking to get their first sale. We'll be discussing the best coaching advice that Sheree ever received from a mentor. And Sheree will go into the not so obvious technique that she uses every single day to create meaningful and highly valuable conversations with others and how you can actually start using this exact same technique today yourself. But first, I just finished three weeks of straight travel, and luckily all I needed to travel with was a backpack for one reason only. It's clothing from an innovative Toronto apparel company called Unbound Merino. They have clothes made out of merino wool that you can wear for months on end without ever needing to have it washed. If a company can be a spirit animal, Unbound Merino would be my spirit animal. They're doing amazing things over there, and their clothes are just fantastic. Check in at the show notes page for an exclusive fail-on discount that you won't be able to get anywhere else. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all the fail-on podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Cherie Alexander. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. So just for a little context, we are sitting, <laughs> and actually, this might be the biggest room I've ever done a podcast in. It's, it's uh, definitely the biggest room I've ever done a podcast. It's at the convention center in San Diego, yeah. a big hall where they're actually doing some breakout sessions. We're both here for Todd Herman's 90-day year event, yeah. but thanks for taking the time during the event to come chat. It's Shh, awesome. don't, don't tell them. Don't, don't tell Todd that we, we're playing a little hooky. <laughs> I know. And we were just talking before we got in the air that, so I use, I use headsets, right? That actually you have to put on your head. It's not just a mic. Yeah, they're super cool. And it's like you're a pilot. It's yeah, awesome. I feel it's like, like I'm my NASA. Child, my childhood dream come true. <laughs> I just want to talk to Houston. You're like, Michigan Drill, help us. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. But I was just saying, because I interviewed Nicholas Kuzmich with the same headset on, not probably no more than two hours ago mm -hmm. and he couldn't even put the headset on his head because he didn't want to mess up his beautiful hair <laughs> his frock oh, his, <laughs> exactly <laughs> but you you just threw it on you're with ready to big, roll the, with the big curls my, my hair isn't as quite close to what they say in the south is the bigger the hair the closer you are to jesus <laughs> so i'm from I'm, georgia so it's very yeah, appropriate exactly. <laughs> not quite as close to jesus right now but i'll fix it later on <laughs> <laughs> i love that <laughs> So obviously I want to go into into what you do with yeah. the persuasiveness stuff and the coaching yeah. and the speaking. But before we get into that, I'd love for you to take us back to, if you can think of it, the first time that somebody actually gave you money uh, no, exactly in exchange for a product or service. Yeah, it was nuts. Just in terms of the mindset, you're like, what are they doing? Why are they paying me? Oh, well, so yes and no, but that was after the fact. During the meeting itself, because I had a face-to-face -face meeting with the CEO of a company and his like right-hand man assistant. And during the meeting, because I, in my previous life, I was an actress. So from the age of 14, I did a bunch of stage plays and primarily I did a lot of Shakespearean stuff. 
And so I think I just tapped into my acting background. So in the room, I totally faked my way to, through it. I was <laughs> sure. just like, I'm pretending like I know what the, the heck I'm doing. Yeah. Can we curse on your uh, podcast or not? Yeah, I, let it rip. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> I forgot to ask that before we started. So I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> and it was a really great meeting. And so I was helping the CEO with his, he was wanting to do more speeches to get more clients. And I just, I said I'd help him through coaching and my first project was $1,500 and I was 22 at the time. So the fact that my first client was 1500 and I was 22 yeah, years old was like, still to this day, I still can't believe it happened. What made you kind of go after that big target at first rather than like starting off with a super low hanging fruit of somebody that would just pay lower? Well, so I got connected to him through another contact of mine. So I didn't actively pursue that person is just somebody had known of me and had heard him say he's wanting to do this and say oh you might want to talk to that curly headed chick and then we so we had the meeting and it was because the meeting went so well and this ties into my whole world of influence which i know we're getting to but at the end of it i remember because i became very good friends with his assistant and she told me afterwards she said yeah after the meeting and after because they cut me a check right away it was like on the spot oh, this is amazing this is the best thing ever <laughs> it, it's always going to be this easy right, right. <laughs> this is the norm yeah do more of these <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why people complain all the time <laughs> but so she said after the meeting they said we we looked at each other and we said we feel really secure in this decision but we were also wondering why did we make that decision because the whole time and after and they shared this with me afterwards the whole time I asked really solid questions. At no point during that meeting did they ask me who my past clients were because I had none. At no point in my meeting did they ask me what my certifications, qualifications, degrees were because I had a, one in theater. They didn't ask me anything about me. It's because I knew what to ask about them and asking questions that they hadn't thought of and pointing things in certain directions that they were like, she's an expert because she clearly sees a perspective that we haven't yet. And it took the focus off you, right? Like it was all about them. Yeah. Well, and honestly, even today, even though I can name drop and say like I've worked with such and such and so and so, even to this day when I'm on calls or meetings, I don't talk about myself because I make it about them and I do it in a way that they realize that it's almost there's overt like pushing power and then there's subtle power. It's like you can try to push people towards something or you can be the magnet. I 100% always choose to be the magnet. Well, now that you mentioned name dropping, let's go ahead and name drop. <laughs> so who are some people you've worked with? So I've worked with a lot of great companies and individuals. So I have clients from the NFL. I have clients from the NBA. I've got clients from UPSs, a client of mine. Gosh, announcers from ESPN and HLN Network. I mean, those are kind are of the bigger... Are you allowed to say names or is there... Not on... Non-disclosure type stuff. ones of those. Not on the film podcast. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> New York it. Times bestsellers. And yeah, yeah. So because... And some of the work that I've done with them might have been either speech writing. So I go ghost wrote their speeches and things like that. So I've worked in a lot of different capacities with individuals. But like, for example... Yeah, so what are they hiring for? Hiring you for? They come to you because they have some problem. What's that problem that they're trying to solve? Well, so nowadays, I mean, it's changed. So I've I've been in business for on my own for a little over ten years now. Eleven, twelve. I don't want to think about that number anymore. <laughs> so good enough long sure. while. So nowadays, I have like basically three verticals in my business. One is I'm a professional speaker. So that's usually like corporate, that sales teams, leadership teams, and possibly like HR trainers and those type of things. Speaking on persuasion and influence. Speaking on influence and how to be a positive influence in your company and be the leader that people want to follow. And then the other vertical is specifically focused for entrepreneurs. And that's my online courses. I have one that's like self-study. That's evergreen. And then I have one that I only do twice a year that's live. And what's, what's that teach the entrepreneur? Yeah. So that's persuasive profits. And basically, I created that course because I was really sick and tired of seeing so many courses and offerings out there for entrepreneurs about one little slice of the business of like, you know, like a software saying like this software is the solution to everything of like, if you just have click click funnels, you'll be able to do everything. If you just <laughs> right. have Infusionsoft and there's nothing wrong with those software, I've, I've used practically all of them and continue to use a few. But they're selling those things as if they're solutions and they're not, they're tools. And so there's so many entrepreneurs that have the tool 
and then throw up their hands and like, it's not working. And they don't understand that the reason why it's not working is because if you don't understand the fundamentals of creating an influential message, then all of it's going to fall apart. So I created the course to be the base code for no matter what methodology you use in sending out your message, the message you create is always going to be based in persuasive strategies. So the modules we cover like webinars, we cover speeches, we cover copywriting. We co- so we talk about the methods, but I give them the models of how to create the message that goes with that. Love it. Love and, it. and we've had some fantastic su- successes from the groups and going to tear up possibly right now just because this email came into me just literally an hour ago. One of our students, he hasn't been able to participate in the course because his dad has been really sick. And he just emailed me a little bit ago and he said, I haven't been able to catch up yet, but I'm really happy I've gone through it because I had to give a eulogy for my father. And it just happened last week. And because of your course, I feel like I did a really great service for my dad, eulogizing him. Basically. And it's just like, you know, it goes in you know, we talk about the business stuff, but really just moments like that, you can't... It makes there, it worth it, right? There's nothing that compares to that. Yeah. Have so. you got any other stories like that in the past that have just Oh, been... put me on the spot. <laughs> like, well, for example, I mean, we're in the middle of the course, so a few of these stories are pretty fresh. Last week, we hit the halfway point. And last week, during that one specific week, so during week three, we had people close 11 clients eight of the students closed those 11 clients. And for four of those students, four of those closes were their first paying clients. That's so cool. So yeah, I mean, it's just helping people find their confidence by teaching persuasive psychology and influential strategy rather than, this is another thing I see a lot in the marketplace is, oh, well, here's the script that worked for me. Just follow this perfect template and plug in, just put in your name. And I'm like, Yes, I, I have no doubt that that worked for you. Okay, no, I have a little bit of doubt, <laughs> but let's just assume that that's true. <laughs> that worked for you because you created that script from the inside out of you with your personality and your target market. I would much rather see entrepreneurs know the process of how to create their persuasive message with their voice that comes from their insides and bring it out into the world instead of pulling from the outside of them and using somebody else's and trying to make it work. And they and that's why they hate sales totally. is because they're using somebody else's words. I mean, unless you have an acting background, and even if you do, that's really not the way you want to be running your business for the rest of your life. No, it's so true. And I think a lot of people that are trying to get into business for the first time look for like the, because they can be so overwhelmed by all the information out sure. there that they, that that's what sells, right? The five-step process to, right. to doing this. So yeah. people are like, oh, I can follow a five-step process when it's never that easy, right? Because everybody has their own path. And I have been knocked by my colleagues and fellow entrepreneurs saying that like, oh, your course is too expansive. It's too, it's too much. You should just do like, I should just create a course on webinars. I should just, and I'm like, but you're missing the point. I want to empower more entrepreneurs to know that basically I want to remove a lot of the mystery behind what it means to create a persuasive message. Because I think there's a lot of people that like, oh, if I only give them this piece, then they'll want this other piece. And I'm just like, that's fine. You do you. You be on your path, boo-boo. But I'm, I got my own. <laughs> They're just everybody's boo-boo. I feel more aligned and ethically connected in the way in which I'm presenting it. And It's less tactical, right? Like not, you're not trying to lead somebody into your next course per se. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have another thing that I'm going to sell them into. You, but. Like, you like commerce, <laughs> but that's not the driving factor. Correct. Well, and, but lo and behold, because I created this thing that I'm so much more aligned with, it is by far my most successful program. I mean, the first go round we had, you know, like a, just a handful of people and then the next go round it blew up and then, you know, we're going to do it again in the fall. And I have no doubt whatsoever that it's going to be even bigger and better. And also because you know, the people that took the course, guess what? Now they are becoming affiliates of the course. So, you know, how many people do they say that like, oh, they buy a course, but then they're never going to use it. I would never use that, wear that as a badge of honor. And I know a lot of people are like, it doesn't matter. The course doesn't have to be that great because they're never going to even open it. Oh, that's so painful. Right? And I just like, I I never want to talk down to my audience. And, you know, there are people that do and that's fine, but I've, I only get this one life, and so I'm going to use the way I want to. Love it. So first vertical, speaking. speaking. Second, Second, courses. is courses. And then third is kind of just a smattering. Like I've got eBooks, and then, of course, I'm working on my book at this moment. So that'll be a whole other thing. But then, of course, I 
I'm creating that book to feed more on the speaking side and, and probably, you know, of course will help with entrepreneurs and things as well. So yeah. So that the third is just kind of a little, it's a little catch all of stuff. Yeah. Oh, and then, and then one-on-one coaching and group coaching, things like that. That's another, yeah. Yeah. A lot of articles. <laughs> and then something else I probably forgot. <laughs> no, that's cool. So you obviously had an interesting start because you got that $1,500 check on the spot and you're like, oh, this is the, I love entrepreneurship. Yeah. <laughs> People just write me checks without me even doing the work yet. Yeah, that didn't happen always. <laughs> no, but what I would like to dive into is it obviously wasn't that easy and business never is. What were some of the hardest struggles in actually getting things off the ground after you got into it through that? Yeah, I would say I'm, I, I mostly will chastise myself before I ever chastise circumstances. So I would say my biggest struggle was consistently having the confidence to finally pull the trigger on things. I look back and I, I hands down, I probably lost, I would say, a good three to four years worth of growth because I held myself back. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Obviously, just fear and things like that. But I know this whole kind of show is about failure and pushing beyond that and and not being afraid of it specifically. And if you were to like really get me to open up, I would say that the biggest failure, it's not necessarily at a specific event. It was a systemic opposite of a catalyst, like whatever that is, barrier block of, so I was very fortunate in my career that I have been able to connect with a lot of influential, powerful people, specifically in this entrepreneurial world. That's fantastic and wonderful. I made the mistake of not trusting my own inner compass on my decisions, meaning I surround myself with the experts of experts, literally. And so if they hear my story or they hear what I'm up to, they love to, and it comes from a loving place. They love to say, well, what you should do is where you should be, where you should market, blah, blah, blah. And for years, every single time somebody said that, I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that too. And anytime you say, I'll do that too, you're running into a problem. Well, I would have on like tack on like five to seven more twos to what I was doing. And I thought, oh my God, well, I have to be everywhere. I have to be on YouTube. I have to be on Facebook. I have to do emails. I have to do, well, guess what? I was nowhere because I wasn't making any headroom on any of these things. So I kept following the shoulds instead of the, what am I good at? What's my genius? What do I enjoy? And trusting that. Then this, it, it ties back to persuasive profits as well. Like we were just talking about is I have tons of people who say how this course should be, what things I should get rid of, because that that's a lot of work for you okay, yeah, it's time, but I freaking love that part of my business. And I denied myself a lot of the aspects of my business that I love because, well, the expert said I should cut that out. And so I, that's probably entrepreneurially speaking, that's my biggest regret. And it's my biggest joy now to hopefully help entrepreneurs. Yes, I teach influence. So I'm sure there are people that teach like, trust your intuition. Those are words I personally would never use, but it is a joy to help entrepreneurs through their message give them the confidence to say like, no, that's, that's what you just said. That's viable. So let's, let's roll with that kind of a thing. So, okay. So you had, you're surrounded by successful people that were basically telling you what to do because you're kind of just on the up and come and getting started. They wanted to help. They're coming from a good place. Like you said, Totally. but it wasn't necessarily the right path for you. Right. It was what they, it was what they saw success with. And they thought yes. everybody should do this because this is because what worked, worked for, for me. Them. Right. Sure. Right. Right. So beyond that though, are there any specific moments that you look back on? You're like that you didn't think you'd recover from because it was such a low point in terms of, it doesn't even have to be business related. It can be personal, oh, but just yeah. the toughest struggles in terms of, cause I think they're kind of interrelated because I know building my business a lot of it's your own personal emotional shit that yeah. you have to get oh, through. thousand percent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Outside of just purely business, yeah. the technical side of building a business, right. it's getting through your own shit, which it sounded like you yeah. had you had your own confidence blocks, which I think almost everybody does. I don't know anybody that comes through and just, oh, I'm going to build this gigantic oh, billion yeah. dollar business. They're- Even Mark Zuckerberg, I'm sure he had you know, his struggles too. So right, right. if you had to look back, is there anything you can pinpoint that... I think I, I can tell you, uh, yeah, it's not a specific moment. It wasn't a specific project, quote unquote, failure, because I honestly have never used that word in my business. I, I don't think, honestly, I have never said that was a failure. Even the things that didn't do as well as I had hoped, 
I mean, it's, it's it's cheesy, but it's true. Like in the NLP world, they say there's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback. And I really have been, I pay attention to that feedback. It's data. Yeah, yeah, it's data. But with that said, so even though there hasn't been a specific moment, I can tell you that there's been about two two very specific times that I've had full-on breakdowns, curled up in the bed, crying, mascara on the pillows, like... I'm never going to come out of this. I'm, I'm a piece of shit. I'm worthless. I'm never going to break through this. I'm, you know, everybody's better than me. Let's go back to the first one. What, what led to it? You know, I think it was just because like after a certain, I just always felt like I ended up being in the same place. Like, oh my God, I'm here again. Like and not I, progressing. Not progressing. And not, and that's, this is also a, an issue of my own personality that I continue to like try to work on is I'm not great at pointing at my own wins. It's like, oh, okay, that did well. But it could have done better. Very, very easy to nitpick the completely. the hard times, but never congratulating yourself completely. on the completely. Even with certain things like um, like with this last launch with Persuasive Profits, like me telling my colleagues, I remember because I was going to an event right after the launch had finished, and I was going to be around my colleagues, and I had to, I literally did like this internal prep of tell people, tell people, because. I was afraid to of saying like, because I didn't want them to think, oh, well, that's not, that's not that much, you know? But of course, then when I told people like, holy shit, that was great, you know? But for me to build that kind of confidence, hoping that they aren't, very rarely do other people have the negative demons in their mind that you have about yourself, totally, you know what I mean? Totally. So I consistently trying to train myself on that. So during those really dark moments, it was because all I saw was the bad, the negative, all I saw was the gap from where I am to where I want to be. All I saw was those things versus looking backwards and, and what, oh shoot, what's his name? Strategic coach guy. Dan, Sol- Dan, Sullivan. Dan Sullivan calls closing the gap. Is you Instead of looking for it, you have to take those moments to look backwards and go, where did you start? Where were you? And now look where you are. I've never been wired for that. I have to consciously make that decision. And sometimes on a daily basis, one of the best coaching advices I got from a mentor of mine was every day write the things that you did, like or three things, like what three things moved the needle today, because it and it takes me longer to come up with those three things rather than the seven things that I didn't oh, get done. It's crazy, isn't it? It's nuts because you did way more positive things during the day than you than you did negative. Right. You just can't think but of them. I just and I, you know I can we can do a whole therapy session on why. <laughs> like I know the reasons why this yeah. is, but it's. It, knowing these things about myself and then making those steps is what so in those dark moments it's just my brain went full wiring towards the negative mode so how'd you get out of it like (laughs) from those breakdowns i mean so this is gonna be a weird response (laughs) because i think chemically i understand what happened is and i don't know if you've ever had this type of moment like if you for weeks or perhaps even months i was holding back that that sadness that fear that despair and so then when I finally allowed myself and I really did make the choice of like, okay, I'm going to allow myself this day to feel all of it. Oh, this is so crazy. You're saying this because I'm not kidding you. Nicholas Kuz mentioned, oh, we mentioned earlier, y- yeah. had this exact same conversation. Oh, really? He said very, he said, cause when his lowest point, he right. was like, I was just trying to block all the pain and yeah. then allowed myself to embrace it. And yeah. I actually just sat with the pain. Yeah. And it was freeing for it me. It was so freeing. I like, I think the only time I've ever could say that I had a epiphany or, or or euphoria, it was after one in particular I remember was I allowed myself to feel all the pain. I allowed, I mean, I did nothing. I was in bed all day long. I didn't eat. It was, it was ugly. It was beyond ugly cry. It was like, and I remember the specific moment of like, my body just said, okay, that's all. And I literally felt this euphoria. And I'm sure chemically there's a whole reason for it. Like the, your brain is like, okay, well, you needed some more dopamine right now. But I just, and then I, it was so weird because then I transitioned into this happy cry. Then I was happy and grateful for this moment. And it was just this, I felt light. And and I know I'm using like some woo-woo phrases, which I'm not even that much of a woo-woo person, <laughs> but that's just, that is what happened. And then the next day it was like, and then I, but I also remembered in that euphoric moment, I made the conscious decision to anchor that in, to like feel this. And then I carried that to the next day. And the next day I remembered that feeling of gratitude, appreciation, freedom, all of those things. And it, you know, and it lasted for a bit. And then you just kind of have to figure out your own patterns to avoid the darkness again. But it was a hundred percent is an internal change because your yeah. circumstance didn't change from <laughs> that one day to the next. Yeah, totally. So, so 
what that tells me is that like you don't have to go from I don't know if you're what your financial situation was, but you know, in some cases people are low cause they're financially in a right. bad place mm-hmm. and you're saying you don't have to go from that to being rich sure. to make you happy. Right. Right. It's just a decision almost you make that internally, yeah. not always a decision, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's a decision either. It's, it's more, a. I think for me, it's, it, there's a lot of trust. I mean, if, if as an entrepreneur, you have to trust and you have to trust yourself. If you don't trust yourself, it's going to be much more of a difficult process. And if you don't know yourself, so if you don't know yourself, you can't trust yourself. So if you don't know yourself, then this is, honey child, I might point you in a different direction. Like, <laughs> I might, might, yeah, you might need a little bit more time in the oven before yeah. you can pop out. So. No, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's something I learned as well because I, I've talked to a few people about this where, which I think is also normal to kind of conform yourself to people you're talking to. So they let, so they accept you and like you more. Right. Well, yeah. And clearly, I mean, what the voice says is, well, of course they know better than me. They're older than me. They've done more than me. They're richer than me. They're so who the fuck am I to not do what they say, to not follow their steps. And, and also this is something I recently shared with my group in persuasive profits is because I was noticing a lot of the students were wanting to, build a bigger business, tackle a lot of niches, tackle a lot of problems and transformations for people because they it comes from a good place. They want to help all of that stuff. And so if you look at what the model they were trying to build, it was like, oh, but I want to be like a Gary Vaynerchuk. Okay, great. I understand that. Totally get that. But you have to look at where Gar- Gary Vaynerchuk was, is, was not, he didn't start out as Gary V. No. He was yeah. the wine guy. And then from the wine guy, he was the social media guy. And then from the social media guy, then he became the speaker guy. And now he's Gary V. It's okay to have people to model after, but know at what point in their timeline you should be modeling. You can't start today and be at Gary V's endpoint. You need to start today and look at how did Gary V start. And then as you grow, then where was Gary V at this point in his career? And so, I mean, I've heard a lot of actors talk about this is, and I can't think of names at the moment, but I remember like a few interviews of like, oh, I was I paid attention to like how Glenn Close built her career or how Meryl Streep made her decisions. And, and that just comes like, Oh, that's what we need to be doing as entrepreneurs. You can't jump out the gate and be Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins didn't start as Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins was the, I'll help you with your phobia guy. I'll help you stop being afraid of spiders. Then he was the, Oh, I'll help you quit smoking. Then he was the motivational guy. Then he was with Tony Robbins. Nobody starts out as the, the guy or the, you know, by their name brand. Yep. No, it's a good point. Yeah. Like even Dean Kane, who was here yesterday was talking. Not many people know he's probably, he's been writing, he said for yeah, 20 years, no scripts, yeah. scripts, TV, film. Yeah. And one, one, he even said one's going to hit off one day and they're going to be like, Oh, Look at that. He wrote his first film. Overnight success. And and crushed it. Yeah, a decade later. (laughs) Two decades later. Completely. Well, and just like, just to throw another one in there, I'm a huge stand-up comedy nerd. I love it. And Louis C.K. has said, because I think he's been a comedian for 24 years or something like that. I can't remember the exact number. And he said, the last four years have been great. Meaning, so he was this nobody unknown. And he's even said in the past, like, I was horrible. I wasn't good. And it took him that long to find his voice, which is kind of this absurdist look at the world. And now he's hit it. So as entrepreneurs, we're often told this story of, well, if you don't do it big and if you don't do it fast, hmm, male-dominated world, then, (laughs) (laughs) then you're not good enough. Then you're not doing it right. And so then being the types of people that we are, we reflect that inward and go, oh, well, I guess I am a piece of shit because my first launch didn't crack six figures right out the gate like so-and-so's did. And we have to remember that like if it does take you over 10 years, if you're doing what you're – first of all, if you're doing what you love, you're already well ahead of the game. If you're able to pay your bills or even make a little bit of money, like do you know – like that is a huge blessing. And yeah, in the entrepreneurial world, they may – snub their nose at that fuck those people like it's not it's not fair it's not kind it's very cruel and so well even gary v always says if if you have a 120k job that makes you miserable but you can make 60k doing what you absolutely love i'll take the 60 everybody should i'll take the, I'll <laughs> everybody take the should. 60 absolutely right. if you're able to sustain your living and then at some point maybe 10 years in or 20 years in, then you really break a big and then you become the name that's cool, but understand that that's more the norm than the flash in the pan people. And also in entrepreneurship and in the online space, we see a lot of people make it big. 
and I've been around this long enough that I've also seen the people that make it big and then totally crash. Just like in acting, like Dean King was talking about yesterday, is like there's tons of people, yeah, they become the big star, but then the media wants to tear them down. And it's like, oh, guess they're addicted to drugs. Now they got DUI and all this stuff. I've seen that in entrepreneurship. It just doesn't get put in Time Magazine or whatever. Exactly. Um, I've learned, and I'll shut up in a second, but I've learned like to be very diligent in taking the 360 view of my world of entrepreneurship. I look at entrepreneurs, I'm like, okay, yeah, that business is super sexy, but also how much is, does it cost to put that together? Like this event that we're at, this is probably like what, 15,000 just to put on, you know, that's not even revenue. That's just pure cost. And then I look at how are their relationships? Are they happy? Are they married and is loving relationship? Are they miserable? Because I could never have a business that I love and go home to somebody that I can't stand. I don't want that for my life. So if that's the model and they're like, oh, but you got to put everything into the business and then sacrifice the rest of your life. Well, I don't want to model you now. And then how are their friendships? Do they actually have friendships or is it just people that they pay for right, you know, the work right. that they do? And so that's helped me get more and more grounded, which actually has given me more freedom to find my voice in my work. And and lo and behold, like it does so much better than when I was trying to fit somebody else's mold that they created. Got it. I know you say you don't use failure, like you don't use that term in mm. your business. Mm. If you had to, how would you define failure though? I mean, for me personally, it's all the times that I didn't do it. That's all the time. I, so that I you mean, didn't try or attempt. That I didn't, yeah, that I didn't attempt or I didn't pull the trigger. I half-assed it and then backed away. I, I mean, but I'd also say that with a grain of salt because there are times that I did that, be, and then, then the timing became right later for that thing. Because if I had started doing online courses in my first year as an entrepreneur, I don't know if they'd be as good. There's a timing for everything. So, is there anything you regret? Oh, I'm sure. I regret telling people that I'm writing a book early on. I, I should have just kept that silent. I'm an author. <laughs> <laughs> I should have. I Because every the first, every time I meet somebody, they're like, how's the book going? I'm like, uh. I should have <laughs> never told anybody. Yeah. yeah what, is, what is your actually opinion on that? Because I know a lot of people say, declare what you're going to do. Because then yeah, that's what I thought when I did the book. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> exactly what I was thinking when that happened. <laughs> didn't work <laughs> Well, so the, my specifically with the book, I feel like the mistake that I made was I told people I was writing a book when I was in the research phase of my book. So my whole book is based off of learning influential skills and techniques and strategies from the world's best influencers like CIA agents, hostage negotiators, con artists, pickup artists, all of those people. So I knew that that was going in a book. So I told people I'm writing a book when all I, I was still researching it. The writing phase didn't show up until like three years later. I didn't know that it's I would- a process, go, right? It's a process. Yeah. So specifically with that, I was like, I didn't know what this project was going to look like. So, all right, if I have to, you know, suck it up every once in a while when another person says, how's the book? I'm like, all right, it's but, fine. But I can it's still in the process, right? Like it's you're still st in the process. Yeah, so we're we're in the manuscript right now. So people are probably like, man, she's been working on this book no, for five I know. years. People, this better yeah, be a damn no, good book. I, I get shit from so many people. They're like, my God. Well, and it, but also that's a, that is a good point because there are some colleagues of mine who have written like 13 books. Okay, great. Personally, when I read one of those 13 books, I would be embarrassed if I put that book out into the world. So for them, they're okay with putting out, in my personal opinion, subpar quality in order to say I have 13 books. Okay. And there's always exceptions. There's certain pro prolific writers that they can have 13 books and they're all great. So I'm not saying that's across the board. But fiction writers, I mean, not to get too far off, but fiction writers actually have a pretty templated system to where right. you know, it's just different characters, different settings, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. and they can just pump them out. Yeah, well, and that's and that's true in business as well, like the even nonfiction worlds. For me, my goal with my book, and I was, I've said this a few times, is yes, I have my business reasons for the book. I want to get on bigger stages. I want people to come to me. I want to be the known in this industry for this, that, and the other. Okay, fine. But for me personally, it's as if, if I were to die the day after the book publishes, I want to be proud of that piece. I want it to be, if that's the only book I ever put out into the world, I want it to be that. So I have a standard that I have with my specific book, even though it's, you know, probably going the self-publishing route, all that stuff. That's okay. I, I'm just very particular with it. 
on that point, how do you balance the high standard mm-hmm. without being a perfectionist? Yeah. Because I feel like there's, there's, you know. Yeah, there's, no, completely. Yeah. Completely. I think, I mean, I don't know if I have a specific answer to that because it took me a long time to realize that. I think. You always hear done done's better than perfect, right? You always hear that. Right. And that's true in a lot of ways because the book's never going to be perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that when the book publishes that there's going to be at least one typo. I have no doubt that that's going to be the case. Are you okay with that? I'm already prepared for it. <laughs> I've already made my piece. Yeah. <laughs> But I think for me, it has to do with the vision, having a clear vision. So, yeah. In I, what way? What do you mean? I just, it's hard to describe specifically just or like around the book. I know what this should be. I know it has organically grown into this. Now it's just time to. So it's not like you're nitpicking every little thing because you're, you're not ready for it to be out in the world. You just have a really clear picture of what it needs to be before yeah. it's released. So specifically around writing, and this is a great lesson just in general, is so my first draft of this book, I am not proud of this at all. It is a shitty first draft. There are so many sentences that I am so embarrassed by. There's so many, but I know that because I've done enough writing for in so many different areas that this is part of the process, that there's no way that I'm going to be out the gate perfect, that this is going to have to go through so many phases. And that's true of every article I've written. Like even today, every time I go to an event, I'll have an idea and then I jot down an article idea and it's like I just put in, just let it flow and I create the general structure and then when I go home, I write the article. But even with after creating the structure, sometimes I'll go home and I write the article and then the article ends up being something completely different because that's part of the process. I had to go through that to be like, oh, that's what this is really about. So I can never, never do I start with this is what that is. It never comes out that way. And again, even with my students, they say that they, they get stuck on the first word or the, or the first sentence. And when they send me drafts of things and I go through it, it's about three to five paragraphs in that I go, that I say, this is your starting point. And every time I write copy, it's not until about the fifth paragraph that I'm like, this is where I should start. And so just knowing that it, it really frees up a lot of that perfectionist thing. If you're okay, if you follow the process, it removes a lot of that. Got it. If you had to attribute one, one key thing that's led you to your success, what would it be? Is it uh, that you've been surrounded by really high quality business mm. people? Mm. Is it the network? Yes, but more specifically to that. So I teach influence. I teach people how to be influential in conversation. Specifically, that's my love. I, also, that applies to copy and webinars and all that stuff. The reason I am where I am is because I'm a skilled conversationalist. And most people think when they hear conversationalist, oh, people listen to what she has to say. It's actually the exact opposite, is that I have been very good about shutting up and listening, making it a point to listen, guiding conversations, you know, leading people to a direction that they normally don't or people don't normally ask about or are curious, maintaining that curious mindset. And it's genuine. I'm not putting on any facade. And because of that, I, at every event, even before I knew anybody, before I could name drop anyone, I always seem to connect with the most powerful, influential person in the room because I came at it purely as a, I'm not pretending to be a big shot. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm not trying to get anything. And I'm also not undercutting myself like, oh, I'm trying, I'm thinking. No, it's just like, hey, you're a human being. Guess what? Me too. Let's just chat. And how do you, because you talked about the low self-confidence. So how did you, how did you have the confidence to talk to these people? I think my parents get, the credit for this is I was raised that first of all, nobody's better than me. You know, nobody has more worth than me, but also how that showed up in my upbringing is that anytime I'm at events and like somebody's there to pick up the trash in the room, that person is also no worse than me. You know, I'm not better than them either. So I asked something like, Oh, you know, could you, turn on the air conditioning in this hall or something like that. Excuse me, sir. Could everybody is sir and ma'am. So I think just because in practice and in life, knowing that and feeling that it's, I mean, it's not as if they ever said it, it's just purely by watching and example, an example, then the big wigs just, 
well, you're not, you're not better than me. You're not, you don't have more worth. You're, you're, you've accomplished a lot and that's cool. So yeah, I never had the, I never had that. Also, also I will have to say, okay, a lot of naivete probably plays into that because again, <laughs> I started when I was 22, so I was pretty freaking clueless. Yeah. So I, I will say early on that that probably was a little bit in there too. Yeah. <laughs> How do you assess risk when going into whether it's a new vertical, whether it's a new project, what do you look at in, in terms of saying this is something I should take on or this is something I shouldn't take on? I think for me, the final decision is always which one am I more excited about? Which one am I okay living and breathing for the next X amount of time? Even with my mentors, the ones that I just, I would, I would take a bullet for these individuals. When I'm struggling in making that next decision and I go through it, like for example, Joey Coleman is is a dear, I say he's a big, the big brother I never had, even though I do have a big brother. He's awesome. <laughs> like he's the best human being. And I remember before Persuasive Profits, I had outlined, I said, okay, here's the four major projects I could take on. I'm really struggling. I don't know which direction to go. So we went through it, got all the details. He thought I should go with this certain direction. And I and I sat with it and I was like, man, I hear you and everything you said makes perfect sense. But this course, I'm really drawn. And I didn't even finish the sentence. And he was like, oh, you should do that then. Just And so first of all, to have a mentor that understands that and, and doesn't have the ego to be like, well, no, you should choose my decision. I'm right, right. I'm right, you know. So the final decision is always which one am I drawn towards. Even right now, like I'm launching a new group coaching program in a little bit and making that decision that that's going to be my focus versus the other options. It was because when I thought of it, it was like, Oh no, I really, that sounds like a lot of fun and I'd be okay living and breathing that for a certain period of time. So just talking about Joey in terms of like conversationalists and oh, persuasion, the, the guy's yeah. unreal. It's crazy how one thing I love about him is how deep you can go with him mm. just meeting him oh yeah because because i interviewed him for this podcast as well and he was and it was he was in town for social media marketing world he mm -hmm. was doing the keynote there but he was telling me a story i don't even think we told it on on air we told it offline but he said the night before he had just met a woman that he met for the first time and they it's like a skill of his but mm -hmm. they went so deep that they were both like in tears yeah talking like yeah. the first five minutes they met yeah which is an insane skill to me that's, well, but that's to me that's true influence and that's the type of influence that more people need that's the magnetic type that's right the magnetic type like i one of my i don't know the byproducts of what i do and who i am and how i live is i have so many so many people tell me i've never told anybody this uh, i can't tell you how many times i've heard that phrase and it's not as if i'm coming out from some weird like i wonder what i can learn from somebody right. like with the skeletons <laughs> in their closet yeah, it yeah. Has, no it's purely out of genuine open open-minded curiosity that we end up going a certain direction. i've learned about affairs i've learned about drug addictions i've learned about abuse like so many and they people will say i've never told anybody this and I take that, I, I honor that. I mean, it is a safe space. I never have shared any of those things with anybody else. For somebody listening, how can they start developing that skill to where, I think a lot of it's like just being authentic, right? And actually caring mm -hmm. and not putting up a facade, not having your own agenda. Right. It's actually listening to the person and, yeah. and actually listening and hearing what they're saying. Yeah. So that's kind of on the, the right brain or, or heart-centered side of that response, which all of that is 100% true. So the kind of how my background, how this all came about was my brother's a quantum physicist. So he's like pure left brain. The so fact he's, that he's dumb. He, <laughs> right, yeah. He's clearly the black sheep. Yeah. No, I'm totally the black sheep. So he's very left brain. I'm very right brain. The fact that we can even communicate ever is a miracle. But I think that's probably what, what shaped me in a lot of ways. And as well yeah. as him, he had to deal with me too. And so in response to that, yes, that's a very right brain or heart centered answer. To flip that, I also like to give a little practical steps mm. for people who might struggle with Please. that. For me, it's so to like give yourself a challenge of how long can I go without talking about myself? Mm. Because most of the time people struggle with what should I say next? It, the shoulds are, the should is the most dangerous word in the world, I feel. What should I say next? And so their process, the brain is processing that. They're waiting for the moment. People can see that more often than not, when you actually say that it's not the right time or whatever that is. So what should I say? Worrying about that. Stop that. Worry about what should I ask? And so to take that even further, when I'm talking to people and they're telling me a story, I'm always 
you can think of it as like being Sherlock Holmes of what are the details in the story that I don't know yet. And it's just by asking of a simple like, oh, and was, that was in Arizona, right? It's like, oh, no, it's actually Arkansas. And it, I continue the conversation. So I'm not just being silent the whole time, but it prompt it shows that I'm listening. It's a little detail. So I, I play a movie in my mind of what it is they're talking about who they were with, what does that person look like, or how do they look like in my brain, where were they, what was that scene, how does that, and if there's ever a missing gap in this movie that I'm playing while they're listening, that's what I ask the question about, and it just gets a little bit more detailed, and the next thing you know, they feel comfortable, and then they're talking about feelings and emotions and experiences, and then that's when, especially as a coach, and there's so many coaches here today at our event, that's where the real conversation happens. That's, that's when, and, and that's what I honestly, that's what I live for. It's I've never heard that before. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. Just visualizing a movie in your head. You've mm-hmm. got, you're gathering the details as they come yeah. and then you're just filling in the gaps by asking questions. Right. And so if they're talking about, Oh yeah, I was downtown and it's like, Oh, were you by yourself? No, I was with Rob. And it's just, Oh, okay. Now Rob's in the movie. Yeah. And so, yeah. No, that's or, cool. I'm sorry. As James would say, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> he's never going to live this story down. I'm going to tell everybody. I mean, it's going to spread and he's going to, I'm just going to make him feel worse and worse it. for it. I love it. If, if you guys, yeah. If just for context, we're talking about the infamous interview with James Altucher where he's calling me Ron half the time that you probably didn't hear it because I edited it out, of course. <laughs> I almost wanted to leave it, but then I'm like, ah, I can't do it when I'm just launching. Oh, so right, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll put it back in later. That's so funny. Uh, bless his heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> uh, bless your heart. It's such a Southern thing as well, right? <laughs> yep. It's like, so on the note of the challenge, you mentioned the challenge, which we like to lay, we like to provide. So what would that challenge be just to, just to rehash it? Yeah. So I think just something simple as, first of all, being better conversationalists. Again, people often think, oh, it's what I should say, how I describe myself. What should I talk about? And that's the exact opposite. So having that mini challenge of just see how long you can go without talking about yourself. And I don't mean not talking. You're still prompting and continuing the thread, but how long can you go without talking about yourself? And this is also something, it, sometimes I use this strategically, sometimes just the way I am, but people will try to throw back the conversation to me because they either think, oh, they're talking about themselves too much, they're trying, they think they're rude or whatever, but I have a genuine interest in what they're talking about. So it's very easy, like even if they try to toss it like, oh, you talk about you now and I'll just toss it right back of, you know, so yeah, my business, blah, blah, blah. But I was really curious about when you mentioned that one thing, what was that? And so just toss it right back and see how long, or even if you want to like see how long you can keep talk or how many times you can keep tossing it back, whichever one you want to play with, it's build that skill set of first of all, not worrying about what you have to say and also asking those prompting questions and yeah, insights and it'll stretch you out of your comfort zone a little bit because you're not yeah. used to doing it right Most so you're people aren't. yeah you're doing it you're using a new muscle right no that's awesome so on that note when i'm just curious when do you do you ever just talk about yourself or is it always just pushing it back i mean when's the appropriate time oh man okay my natural skill set is no, I'm not great at talking about myself. In these moments, obviously, I can tap into that because, you know, this podcast is supposed to be about me, so I better talk <laughs> about me a little bit. Normally, that's not my comfort zone. So, in fact, my comfort zone is the exact opposite from, from most people. Well, Just I've gotta, First of all, i got to say thank you for not throwing all the questions back at me because <laughs> I'd be sweating over here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm just taking over right yeah. now. <laughs> exactly. So about you, Rob. Right. <laughs> Ask the question again. What was it? No, I was just saying. So when when would be kind of the right. appropriate okay. time to talk yes. about yourself? So I mean, I don't know about the word appropriate. So I I will say that when it comes to specifically like sales calls, this is usually the the biggest stumbling block that people run into is because on a sales call they're so worried about how do I describe myself, how do I describe myself, when do I talk about price? It's and again it's all me 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 questions. So there's two lessons in this. First of all, people ask me, do you still get nervous before you go on stage? The answer is no, not really. There's very few circumstances where I'll feel that adrenaline kick in. It's usually because I'm speaking in front of my peers, people that I really respect. That that will usually trigger it. So when you're speaking to people you don't respect, I'm just kidding. I mean, I just don't know them yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're just people. They're not, just, you know, Joey and Rob, right, and, you know, right, right. all that. Because <laughs> they'll tell me if I didn't, you know, yeah. they'll tell me their real thoughts. 
which again, usually they don't have the demon voice and they usually say that was really good. So tying all that back around. So if I do feel nervous and even before sales calls, sometimes I will get a little bit of that. And even before coaching calls, I get a little bit because I know that there's a certain expectation and I, I do have a hope from this. I do have a specific influential intention. So in those moments, when I, whenever I catch myself, and this is a huge influential lesson, whenever I catch myself asking, what should I say? That's always the wrong question to start with. No influential person worries about what they have to say. Their first question is always, what do I need to know? Where are my data point gaps about this person? What do I not know about what triggers their emotional states? What do I not know about their aspirations? What do I not know about what's important to them? And then the conversation, just tying it all together, you're asking questions, they're doing the talking, you're curious, you're open-minded. So that's the first question. So also I have a bit of a routine that when I feel that nervousness, I put my hand over my heart and I close my eyes and I just wait until I feel my heartbeat just very comfortably beating And I tell myself, my only goal is to connect. And really and truly, that is your only goal is it because once you make that connection, everything else just flows seamlessly. I've had people sign up for my coaching with never even talking about price. They just sign up. I send them the link and then they're on board because the connection was so strong. Going back to my very first client, they didn't even know my background, but because we connected, then it became, so my only goal is to connect. Specifically, when do you transition talking about yourself? When it comes to sales calls, I would say it's the last third or even the last fourth of the conversation. Even when they try to bounce it back to me and they're like, well, tell me about the program. And it's like, then I say, totally looking forward to sharing it with you. I just would like to learn a little bit more about, you mentioned that thing about, I'm really curious about and just toss it back because I know what I don't know about them. And until I hit those certain mile markers, again, this is everything I teach in Persuasive Profits. I know that until I hit those mile markers, it's not time yet for me to talk about me. Because then when I do talk about me, I'm just tying it back to them. So in the program, we have implementation weeks. And just like you said, how you feel like it's pretty lonely and and it's very difficult to like put to practice things that you learn, that's why we have implementation. And you know how you were talking about how you really struggle with copy and you get anxiety around that? So in this, so I'm talking, I'm talking about me, but I'm talking about them still. You're always throwing it back, yeah. The only way way I'm able to talk about them is because I hit those mile markers and I made a point to learn that about them. You couldn't tie it back if you didn't have that data. Exactly. Then what I'm doing is I'm speaking to an avatar rather than a person. So the difference in how that sounds is somebody saying like, well, most people when they experience, you know, they feel like it's pretty lonely in there. And most people, they say, that's why they love Implementation Week versus, you know how you said and use their words that it's pretty difficult to implement. Well, you're going to, you're going to love this part that we put into the program. It's a huge difference. Oh, it's night and day. Night and day. Yeah. Because you're solving their problem directly. Yeah. And through their own words. With their own words. Yeah. And I'm not saying, and this is another thing people get nervous about. is like, oh, do I parrot it back? No, you can say it in your own words, but just don't deviate very far from what they said. Because I, I so part of the thing that I do with my one-on-one clients is I listen to their sales calls. And that's a pretty common thing they'll hear is that they'll use the way that they would say it, that they themselves, the person trying to sell the thing rather than using that person's words. And I can hear it in the voice of the prospect of like, that didn't quite land with them. Like I could hear the tone go, go down. I can hear the pause last longer that you lost momentum with them with that choice. Yeah. No, that's interesting. If you had, cause you've, t- you've talked about mentors a lot mm-hmm. that yeah. helped you yeah. on your journey. If somebody came to you and, didn't even really have a business yet. They just, maybe they're in a corporate job, nine to five, mm-hmm. and they want to start something, but they don't know what. What would be one piece of advice or kind of a directive or step one that you would tell them to do? Ooh. First of all, writing things down. We have so many thoughts and we usually get so overwhelmed and that we'll have the same thought rattling in our brains for weeks and months. So building a practice to write it down, whenever I'm struggling with like a next project or who to market to or whatever that is, I'll struggle with it. And it's till I actually put it on paper of, okay, here are my options. And I think that it's, I feel like it's 25. And then when I put it on paper, it's like, oh, it's just four. Oh, in fact, just at this event, I was talking to somebody who is starting a business, trying to figure out what does that product look like? Who, do, who should be for 
And I told her some of the key questions that helped me was, who do I want to work with? Like, who are the people that I think could I could work with? Then who do I think could afford me? Then who do I think is going to be the most fun? Then who do I think will, that my background, they will relate to? And I'm trying to think of the other questions, but unless you write those down and and answer, and then I you see the Venn diagram of where the overlap is. I remember when I was first trying to you know figure out my target market. I remember that managers was one of the ones on my list. It was like entrepreneurs or CEOs or managers or HR. Or, you know, I think there was like eight of them. Managers quickly got cut from the list because when I looked at, I don't really have much of a background that managers are going to. I don't think that they can afford me. I don't think I'm going to enjoy them as much as these types of other people. So I was like, well, that's gone. But it's not until you can write it down and see it, it's just going to consistently be rattling around and you got, you got to get it out. So journal, get it out of your head and then things will become more clear. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of those big post-it notes, oh, the, yeah. the big whiteboard post-it notes they can stick up on the wall. I'm more of a fan of whenever I'm doing some, some strategy, I'm more of a fan of that than journaling because I can see it and I can manipulate it moving around and stuff. So we've talked a little bit about the book that's, yeah. that's in the works. Yeah. What else is coming up that you're really excited about? Really excited that I'm launching my group coaching program called Influence HQ. And in that, it's it's basically a mix of what I love, <laughs> honestly. So, you know, I try to walk my talk. Business by design. <laughs> right. Yeah. So once a week, I'm teaching a lesson of whatever I think people are going to need and love. Once a week, we're having a student doing a hot seat. So if somebody wants one of their you know drafts to be torn apart and everybody get to watch and listen and get the feedback... Then the third week is the one I'm most excited about. It's Spotlight Week, where we as entrepreneurs, we have no safe place to practice something. So if you want to put on a webinar, other than you working alone in your office, there's no safe place for you to practice it. So Spotlight Week is for if you wanted to practice a webinar, practice a speech, practice your video script, whatever that is. Love that. Then you get the feedback. But then the additional value to the group is like if you were to speak on overcoming failure, you practicing it, now the entire group gets to learn about overcoming failure as well as you getting to practice. Yeah, it's really cool. So Spotlight Week, I'm super excited about. And then the third week is, I'm just calling it Surprise Week because it's like whatever I think the group needs at that time, whether it's diving deeper into a topic we've already talked about or a general, you know, ask me anything. But I'm also going to be bringing in, like Joey Coleman has already signed up for one of the sessions. I'm good because I do have a fantastic network with amazing and, you know, just super smart people. So I'm going to bring them in. I'm just not committing that every month I'm going to bring in one of my friends, <laughs> but a good amount of the sure. time yeah. spotlight or surprise week will be somebody teaching something cool and you, you'll get the Q&A with them. So amazing. Any speaking engagements or anything like that coming up? Oh, I've had quite a few already this year. I've got... I've got a few webinars for some groups, some companies, which is nice because then I don't have to fly. But yeah, no, this this quarter in particular is pretty blocked off for get the first draft of the book done and and the launch and all that stuff. So yeah, later in the year, we've got a few more coming up, but the next like 90 days, not as much. Cool. Well, we'll link to all this in the show notes, obviously, but don't want to take too much more of your time, but thanks for taking time out of the event to chat. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Awesome. See ya. All right, so you can find Cherie at Cherie Alexander on Twitter. That's at Cherie Alexander. And of course, for that spelling, along with all the links and resources Cherie and I discussed, including more information on her work and online coaching, can be found at the page we created especially for this episode. That'll be at failon.com slash 031. And next week, we are sitting down with my good friend, Stephen Christopher. Stephen is the founder of Sequest Digital Marketing, a web marketing firm designed to help business owners increase their online visibility and reach. Before Sequest, Stephen also started and ran several other award-winning financial companies. And he actually had a really great, well-known podcast as well, which we'll talk about why he decided to stop running that show. But in this episode, Stephen shares the lessons he learned as his mortgage company completely tanked and failed in the crash of 2008 and how he was actually able to turn that failure into a beautiful opportunity. And he shares the benefits of working a full-time job while starting your side hustle and much more. It's a great conversation. Don't miss it. If the podcast is providing value to your life, please email me at rob and let me know what your biggest takeaway from this episode is. 
And as I continue to build Felon with the goal of helping employees become entrepreneurs to create absolute freedom in their lives, I'd be really grateful for a couple of things that are so small but matter so much. Subscribing to the podcast takes a single click and helps the show get found by more people. And when people can find the show, it means it can help more people, which means in return, you are helping more people by simply subscribing. To subscribe and rate and review the podcast, super easy. Just visit failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.